The opinions expressed by the host, caller, or guest on WIBG do not necessarily reflect the views of WIBG management or corporate officers. Those opinions are expressly those of the guests and callers on WIBG 1020. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. The button pushing stops here. Plug the radio in. Yeah, It is time once again for the Evidence for Faith show, where we explain the benefits of Christianity for personal happiness and human flourishing. This show is sponsored in part by Grace Community Church of Waterford Works, New Jersey. My name is Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis, and I just wanted to remind our listening audience that you can contact us at evidenceforfaith.com. You can actually email us during the show. You can also access previous shows that we've done, and I think we're up to about, what, 80 or so shows now, No, we're, we're up to around 90 now. 90 now? Cool. And uh, you can also um, download uh, um, from iTunes as well, so if you're going on a long trip and there's a topic that might interest you, uh, you can scroll through the website and the material available and uh, really come away with some neat stuff. Also, Facebook. We have a group on Facebook where there's discussions. And uh, so you can contact us that way, too. You can also call us during the show at 609-398-1020, ask us questions, or email us during the show. We usually start out the show by having a couple of news items. We are going to kind of put the news items through the show today because some really interesting things coming up, especially I'm sure most people heard about the arrests of missionaries at the Arab Festival last week. So we're going to be talking about that and talking with a very interesting guest, a surprise guest and exclusive interview right here on Evidence for Faith show. But one news item that I was real happy about that happened last week was I was interviewed by an apologetics website called Apologetics 315. This is a terrific website for all things apologetics. There's references to virtually every apologetics ministry out there. And uh, so it was a real um, honor to be interviewed by them. You can check that out at apologetics315.blogspot.com. And there is enough there, enough links to keep you busy for months, just reviewing all of the audio and video feeds and debates and blogs and all sorts of interesting uh, content there. So, so that, was a, that was a neat thing that happened. We have an in-studio guest today. This is our Meet the Pastor uh, time. We like to do this every once in a while, and we have with us Pastor Paul Ort from First Baptist Church in Egg Harbor City. Pastor Ort, welcome to the show. Thank you, Keith. I appreciate being here today, and hopefully be able to present myself well. How long have you been at the uh, First Baptist Church in Egg Harbor City? I've been there 13 years now, and it's been a real honor to serve the Lord there, and the Lord's been using me in a great way there. Tell us about some of the um, activities that you have going on there. 
Well, one of the things we're gearing up for right now is Vacation Bible School. Mm -hmm. I'm a bit crazy when it comes to that. I like a good presentation, a lot of props and things like that. We have some very talented people who are involved in creating all sorts of props and so forth. It's a high seas adventure theme and we have cannons and we're going to have cannons firing and all sorts of uh, special effects kind of thing and we have a should be a lot of a lot of fun for that. Um, I hope the kids enjoy it because we sure do. Are. Yeah, yeah, isn't that true? And I get to be one of the captains. I might even throw in that line if I have to borrow it from you. Don't want to plagiarize, but uh, <laughs> I think I'll try to use that one. But it should be a lot of fun. We're doing that. We're doing um, those, pretty much those kind of things. Uh, every every around the year, we try to do the VBS. We do a special Christmas program and such and also um, we try to do each Easter we've been trying to do like the Living Last Supper which is a presentation of the um, disciples and what what it meant to them to meet Jesus and how he had changed them because you know as the uh, Sanhedrin and others always remarked is that uh, the only difference that they found within about these men over other men is that they had been with Jesus so I, I really liked that when I heard you describing that to me uh, before. So this is a chance for um, people to kind of meet the historical figures. It's like play acting where they act out each of the disciples. Now, do they explain what happened after Easter, where they went uh, to evangelize part of the world, that kind of thing? Does it explain how they, how they uh, were martyred? Yes, we always try to emphasize that as well because that's important. Although it is based on church history, we're unable to, you know, the scripture doesn't speak to that as much, but we are able to uh, tell how each one died, and basically John was the only one that would have died from a natural death, and all the rest of them were martyred in some way. And amazing, well, again, it's a great evidence for faith, the fact that they were willing to die for what they believed, and that certainly means that they saw what they saw and they were willing to die for it. So this is actually a living history presentation in Seder format, Last Supper. Yes, it is. And uh, you get to meet each one of the participants participants at the supper, historically yes. speaking. Yes, we try to do it as accurately as we can. We have you know period costumes and various things of that nature to try and make it as close to it what we can. And, of course, we're guessing at uh, how they would feel or whatnot. Um, last time I got to be Judas which, you know, we're not given exactly all his thoughts and everything, but we can just kind of understand and know that he was filled with Satan, as it tells us, and just take those pieces of Scripture and try to think about, you know, maybe what he, how he took it and what uh -huh. he was thinking. So that you do that every Easter? We try to do it every okay, Easter, Okay, well, yes. sign me up for that one. I'll be, I'm going to be there this year. Okay. Now, Mike and I have actually been guests at your church. We've done a couple of radio shows live from First Baptist Church of Egg Harbor City. And that has been a real thrill for us. So we enjoyed and uh, thank you for um, allowing us to participate with your congregation that way. And speaking of which, you do have an outreach uh, the first Sunday of every, uh, I'm sorry, the first Saturday of every month. You have a breakfast. Yes, we do now. Actually, we're, he's taking it easy now. Our, our cook is taking a little bit of time off. We'll be starting again in October. But yeah, the first Saturday of every month, 8 a.m., we meet for uh, breakfast, uh, great turnout there a lot of uh, great food as well as sometimes uh, blueberry pancakes and whatnot but um and then a devotional each time you guys gave the devotional twice for us and that was a real wonderful time and well well attended that's correct we did one on mother's day as i recall keith and we also did one on easter uh, saturday 
the day before Easter, and we talk about uh, death by crucifixion on that Saturday. Right. Yeah, that was that was a good. That's uh, available for podcast if people want to look that one up on the crucifixion, and we talk about all the evidence for crucifixion. Now, while while we're talking about it, we might as well bring up that news item then that we referred to. We were going to be bringing up about the crucifixion. Mike, you've got the uh, press release there. This was came in uh, yesterday from the uh, Telegraph of the UK, I believe. Uh, somebody actually thinks that Jesus wasn't crucified, and Correct. I guess that qualifies as headline news nowadays. Correct. Uh, Gunnar Samuelson, who is uh, writing his PhD thesis uh, and claims to be a committed Christian himself, uh, states in his 400-page thesis that there is absolutely no evidence that Jesus died by crucifixion. And I, and I thought to myself, wait a minute, we reviewed the 1987 article that was in JAMA that was very, very detailed in its historical um, presentation of death by crucifixion. Uh, it was a common um, form of, of death, a death penalty, so to speak, that was used by the Romans and other civilizations prior to the Romans. Right. And I know that uh, Pastor Ord had a chance to look at this uh, press release and we, Keith and I are very curious as to what your theological commentary would be on this uh, little release. Well, Pastor Ord, actually, let me give you a scenario. Um, this comes out in the news, uh, say, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, and then you're preaching Sunday. What do you think? Do, do you mention this, um, or does this go by the wayside, so to speak? I'm real interested in how pastors address issues like this that seem to pop up in the news in a kind of a regular basis. Right. Yeah, I try to deal with each one as we encounter, especially if someone from the church took notice of it. But a lot of times I will point them to something maybe if they didn't mm. hear of it so that they would be familiar with what's going on. And to know that, the, you know, it's an ongoing battle. We have this the long war against God, and uh, we're just surrounded by those people that want to take whatever they can. The problem is is that... Any fool can take a shot, but um, then right. it just takes a lot of time to be able to go back through and prove the very facts that are, that they're wrong and such. You know, like even with this, I have a, a picture on my computer that shows a ankle bone, and in the ankle bone is the remains of an iron spike, right? Which is obviously crucifixion, right? And is right down the line. And so to say that it doesn't happen, well, I think we can actually come up with physical evidence to prove otherwise exactly right yeah that was a first century crucifixion victim that was found uh, the bones were found in an ossuary from that time period and uh, physical evidence that confirmed uh, that crucifixions did occur uh, you know n not to mention the historical references that this uh, news article conveniently leaves out so you know you get these this uh, less than one percent so-called experts who make these outrageous claims and then the newspaper doesn't even bother to mention that by the way 99.9 percent .9 of every actual uh, knowledgeable expert in the field would disagree with this person <laughs> you know that part they leave out so um you know and and so what's the public to think though the public thinks oh wow this must be true and and uh um, and then my pastor didn't mention anything about it, so I guess he has nothing to say about it. I guess he's got no rebuttal for that. That's too bad. Maybe I won't go back to church next week. Hmm. Well, you know what's interesting, Keith, too, about this little press release is that uh, Gunnar Samuelson specifically says that Christ, there's no evidence that Christ died by crucifixion on a cross. 
Right. And specifically referencing the cross for lack of historical evidence. Well, we know that there were a variety of different techniques that were used in crucifixion, and it wasn't necessarily a cross, the Christian symbol of the cross. Well, historically, prior to that time, that's true, there were X-shaped crosses. There were just poles. Uh, there were low low crosses, there were upright crosses, uh, high crosses, um, but typically at that time, the, the actual cross that we think of as a cross, that was typically used at that time. So for him to say that, well, down through history, there are all these different ways of doing it, that is beside the point. We were talking about a specific time period by specific people, the Romans. What did they do? What do we know historically? And it was the crucifixion just as we uh, think of it historically. And also to think that the Romans, when they were going through this process, I mean, they were trying to work out what was the best way to kill somebody, what would make them last the longest, what would be the most torturous. And the the pole idea works fine, except that, you know, the, the cross itself, because the arms are extended, ma leads into, you know, asphyxiation, as well as just the whole other, I mean, just the whole torturous idea that the only way you can breathe is by pulling in on those spikes to be able to take a breath just adds to the whole torture of the whole thing. And that was the purpose of the Romans. And so in the evolution, if you will, of the cross, right. it, it started with the pole. Right. And then they perfected it and they worked on it. And, you know, the side, the one on the side wasn't as good. And so, you know, they, they came up with the, the cross we now recognize. That was the best way to do it. And I might add, folks, that nobody escapes uh, death by crucifixion. It is 100% and, and universally fatal. Uh, Keith and I did a, uh, a very, very uh, complete um, uh, review of that uh, 1987 article that was in the Journal of the American Medical Association. If anybody would like to have the reference material to that, it's very easy to find. And if you want the uh, references that were used to actually promote that article, we can actually email them to you if you send us an email request and again you can email us at evidenceforfaith.com that's the number four evidence the number four faith.com well you'll have to to email us that way you have to go to the website and then hit on the contact uh, link if you are just joining us you are listening to evidence for faith i'm keith kendricks and i'm dr mike larrakis the call in line is 609-398-1020 we are we have a guest visitor, Pastor Paul Ort from First Baptist Church with us today. And Pastor Ort, we'd like to get to know you better. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your background, how you got saved, um, and your background as a pastor. Okay. I was uh, raised in a Christian home. My, my parents were always very active in their uh, Christian service to the Lord. And at the age of seven, we were traveling in the mountains of New Mexico, and we were above the tree line. And... You could look down and actually about a thousand feet below us you would see the trees and so we're on this little road no guardrail and i just knew that boy if we went off the edge that we were going to die and i would go to hell and my parents would go to heaven and my sister as well and since i didn't want her to beat me there or something i kind of made a deal with the lord and said god if you get me through this next sunday i'm going forward in church and uh, he did so i did and um, later on Lord more or less confirmed that to me when I was 12. I wanted to be certain of my salvation, so I, I did make sure. But the Lord reminded me that, that that was a true conversion experience there for me, and I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. And then committed my life to the Lord at 15, and then went off to Bible college, and then seminary at Capital Bible Seminary, and 
then we were looking missions, but the Lord has led me on into the pastorate instead. Now, the bio uh, at the website, well, let's talk about the website. I want you to tell people how they can look up information about the church. Well, it's at the website. I'm, I'm not exactly certain of the, of the web address there. It's a All tripod right. or something. Yeah, it is First Baptist EHC dot tripod dot com okay so or you can just google first baptist church egg harbor city and i'm sure that will take you there now it tells us you're being a little modest it tells us that you are um your background includes biblical language greek and hebrew yes i uh have studied quite a uh, five years of greek three years of hebrew all right and i probably prefer hebrew <laughs> more than the greek but uh and it's interesting because i hate english grammar and yet anytime you study languages, you have to learn the grammar of both mm -hmm. ones. And it's like the Lord just wanted to really humiliate me, I suppose, in that whole process. <laughs> and, and full surrender. I had to do the very thing that I don't like doing. So, so what kind of um, sermon for a visitor that was coming to your church, what kind of um, sermon, what kind of atmosphere would one expect to, to find there at First Baptist Church? I would hope that they would find a very friendly atmosphere. We'd strive to be... Um, user-friendly, if you will, and everyone can come on in and have a uh, seat. We have um, coffee available. We, we uh, have a handshaking time and such. Try to be informal in regard to those things. And the message is right now, I've been going through some book studies. Uh, we're in First John right now. But we go through various topics as well, sometimes topics that are current in the news or something. We've been looking at um, a lot of this new kinds of things that have been going on, uh, emergent church and those kind of issues that think need to be dealt with. We're contemporary in that we do do uh, music, uh, some contemporary music, but we also do hymns, and we do you know hymns and contemporary music at the same time. All right, and and I always like to ask our pastor guests this um, situation where let's say you have a regular attender, a woman maybe who doesn't never brings her husband, but every once in a while you get to meet him at a coffee or or something and. You find out that he's not a believer. Um, maybe he's even actually an atheist. And she's been praying for him and hoping that people would have a chance to witness to him. And, and when you talk to him, you know, he cuts you off right at the, at the beginning and says, Look, Pastor, I think Christianity is great, but I don't believe it. I don't think the uh, Bible is uh, divine. And, um, and that's where I stand. So thank you very much, but no thanks. What do you say? Well, that this would probably be one of my favorite kinds of people because too many times we have the people that think they're saved when they're really not or you know they have some sort of form of religion but no, no real depth to it and they're just kind of walking the Christian life and they're very hard to convince that that's what they need while instead somebody who's an atheist a great opportunity to present to him the, the truths and I guess you just go back to what makes you believe there's no God based upon what evidence because actually to be an atheist you're saying that there's no God that's a pretty mm. Uh, you know, wow, I mean, they almost have to be God to be able to say that because uh -huh. how do they know? And the very fact that they say that they know that proves that they're wrong. Very good point. Very good point. And so to help them along in their in their thinking, any preferences on, on approach? What what would you how would you guide this person? I would just like to go you know, to to scripture. That's always a great place to go, mm -hmm. and, it, and it's what's truly is infallible. I'll make mistakes, but the Scripture won't. And to more or less confront them with the fact, okay, you say it's full of lies. Well, let's, let's go take a look at every single one that you want to bring up, and we will 
discuss it and, and uh, plainly be able to demonstrate that it is true to itself and it is true in, in every sense of the word and that um, their well, that's, objections are baseless. That's a pretty bold statement, Pastor Ord. Are you telling me that there are no contradictions in the Bible? The Bible's pretty big, written by a lot of different people. You're telling me that it doesn't contradict? I've heard that there's all kinds of contradictions in the Bible. Well, you're entitled to that opinion, but you're <laughs> going to find out that you're dead wrong. Yeah, there are no contradictions. It uh, is you know, just a marvelous book full of incredible truth, and we need to you know, delve into it. And, and what I always tell my folks is the truth is never afraid. You know, there's, Ooh, there's, I like that. There's nothing that has to, you know, you, you can't, un, there's no skeletons in the closet. If it's right. truth, it's truth, and that's it. Right. So never be afraid of the truth. Never, yeah, never run from the truth, and the truth is never afraid of conflict or being confronted. Well, Pastor Paul, or we do appreciate the fact that you spent uh, time away from uh, your family. I know that you're in Ocean City with them, and we really appreciate uh, you being on the show and actually look forward to being uh, at uh, your church as guests again. Yes, we'll definitely have you back, and thank you very much for the invitation. I had a great time. God bless you as you continue your ministry here. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Pastor Ort. That was Pastor Paul Ort from First Baptist Church of Egg Harbor City. And uh, you can check them out again if you are interested. We hope that you'll uh, take a look at that church if you are looking for a church. Uh, you can find out more information about them at firstbaptistehc.tripod.com or just Google First Baptist Church Egg Harbor City, New Jersey, and you'll find all the information that, uh, that you need. Well, if you're just joining us, once again, you are listening to the Evidence for Faith show. I am Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Arrakis. Our call-in line is 609-398-1020. You can also email us live. We are monitoring our email website. Go to evidenceforfaith.com and click on the contact button, and you can email us. Now, Mike, we've been going through a couple of news items as we go along here, but there was something that really triggered, uh, you know, my nerves. Um, last week, there was a news item about some Christians, some missionaries, evangelists, who were arrested in the United States for witnessing, Correct. for sharing the gospel. Did you catch this? Did you see this on yes. Fox News? Yes. This happened in uh, Dearborn, Michigan, and yep. four missionaries were arrested for witnessing and uh, promoting the truth and actually causing a stir and a public disturbance even though they themselves were completely controlled in their approach the crowd was being whipped into a frenzy and they were arrested because they were i guess nearly inciting a riot supposedly yeah that's the story but maybe we can find out directly from the horse's mouth because we have on the line with us today nabil qureshi who was arrested in De Dearborn at the Arab Fest. Nabil, are you with us there? Hi, how are you doing? Nabil, it's a pleasure to talk to you again. Um, uh, people don't know, but now they do. I was one of your classmates at Biola University, and you were there to get a master's degree in Christian apologetics. Absolutely. It was a great time. Yep, we had a wonderful time, didn't we? Yeah. Some terrific professors and lots of great teaching. And you were uh, one of the sharper uh, knives in the drawer there, I, I notice, um, when you were there. 
I, I enjoyed being being with you there, and I and I think we ran into each other uh, last fall at the Evangelical Philosophical Society down in New Orleans, right? Absolutely, and that was a great time too. So you're a free man now, Nabil. How does it feel to be a convict? Uh, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Um, it was definitely not anything we'd imagined. Um, we had been prepared for a lot of things when we went there. Uh, as you may know, last year when we went to Dearborn, um, we went to a booth that was set up to ask questions from Muslims. Uh, this booth was giving out pamphlets, um, doing dawah, as Muslims call it, or basically evangelizing. Um, and we noticed that some of the pamphlets were just full of false information, uh, especially when it came to the nature of Islam, whether it's violent or peaceful. And so we um, do video blogs regularly on our website, answeringmuslims.com, and we wanted to do a blog on this pamphlet. And so I did a blog on the pamphlet, and then I said, well, hey, since we're here at the festival, why not actually talk to the people who gave me this pamphlet? They actually have a booth set up specifically inviting people to ask them questions. So I went to that booth, and I asked questions. Um, the first gentleman who was there um, wasn't inclined to give a response, but he was inclined to, to listen. Um, and then another gentleman took his place, and he said, uh, you can record my answer to this question. Um, and so we started talking to him. We started recording it, uh, as he invited us to. And uh, security came, and they made us turn the camera off. Now, the security guards are virtually all Muslim, and they made us turn our cameras off. Now, this was something different. They weren't doing this with anyone else. Um, they just did it to us. They made us turn the camera off. Uh, later, we came back when we talked to a friend who was an off-duty policeman. He said, no, they're not allowed to make you do that. So we went back to ask, um, and before you know it, uh, we were surrounded by security guards. We were physically and verbally assaulted um, by the security guards and kicked out of the festival. Now, this occurred last year, right? That occurred last year. So when we were going back this year, um, in the meantime, we had received a lot of threats from people telling us that if we came back that they would they would hurt us or kill us, what have you. No. And uh, I'm, I'm not exactly one who supports terrorism by listening to what um, people would uh, threaten you with. Mm. Um, and I figured, well, if that's the case with terrorists, I'm not going to do it with security guards either. No. They tell me if I come, uh, I'll be hurt if I come back. I'm, I'm not going to listen to them and give in to their demands. So. Let's, let's stick with last year for a little bit, too, oh, sure. because it helps set the stage. Because I did see that video, and um, you know, this is online. People can still access it, I believe. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. Can they get it from your website? Muslims.com up in the corner. Okay. Um, you'll find special reports, and all three of what we're about to talk about um, are up there. Now, they were doing things like uh, as you walked along, as they were ushering you out, they were kicking your feet uh, so that you would trip and fall. Also so that it wouldn't be caught on camera. Right, because it was below the screen, the frame. But you could see, you could still see the leg extensions. You could see what was happening. I mean, this is like a schoolyard bully um, beating up on uh, you know the smaller kid to get his lunch money, uh, that was the attitude that I took from what I saw that happened last year. And they escorted you out. Um, no arrest at that time, right? Correct. No one was arrested. Yeah. In fact, uh, if I remember right, the police showed up and they, you know, basically just tried to, you know, everybody stay calm type of thing. And okay, let's let's not do this anymore. Right. Now, Nabil, in both instances, last year and this year, these were private security people, correct? hired by the uh, Arab Fest? Well, we didn't actually come into much contact with them this year. Um, this year, we were detained by the police. Last year, it was private security. Hmm. Now, before we get into the exact details of what happened, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, yourself? I've already mentioned that you were, uh, you've, you have a degree in MA in apologetics, and um, 
the uh, Acts 17 is your apologetics ministry that you started uh, after receiving that degree. Uh, tell us a little bit about your ministry and a little bit more about yourself. Sure. Um, well, I'm uh, a Christian. I was a former Muslim, or am a former Muslim, came to know Christ in 2005. Um, a large part of that was apologetics, um, studying the evidence for the Christian faith and the Muslim faith. came to realize that the evidence was much stronger on the Christian side than on the Muslim side, as I had always been taught. Um, and also God guided me through visions and dreams to um, accept Christ. And so I accepted Christ in 2005, shortly thereafter, started an apologetics ministry. Um, we changed the apolog apologetics ministry name to Acts 17 Apologetics a few years ago. Um, and uh, let's see, I'm also a graduate from medical school. However, I did not continue on to finish my medical training. It's kind of been left in limbo. I didn't start my residency and instead became a youth pastor, um, which is what I'm working as right now. I'm a youth pastor in Chesapeake, Virginia. And um, tell us a little bit about your actual conversion. Um, what was so appealing about Christianity? You talked about the evidence being stronger than the evidences for Islam. Well, and, and that really was what, what it started out as. Uh, I was not, it wasn't the message of, hey, you can know peace and you can know um, you can know you're going to heaven. That that never really was an issue for me because um, I didn't I didn't worry about whether I was going to heaven or hell because I had faith that God was just and that He was going to do with me whatever whatever He felt was right. Um, to me, what was more important was who is God. Um, and uh, I, in order to answer that question, I had to know um, what is the true message. And the reason I started with Islam and Christianity as my investigation was clearly Islam is um, the religion I was born into, and so. I started there, and Christianity, because, um, well, a lot of a lot of information that's taught to Muslims is specifically to rebut Christianity, uh, which is a lot of what I did as a child, but also Christianity has a lot of truth claims that can be investigated. Uh, the very core of the Gospel, um, as Romans 10.9 and 10.10 would have it, is that Jesus Christ is Lord, uh, and that he rose from the dead. And if Jesus didn't claim to be Lord, or if he didn't rise from the dead, two truth claims, um, then Christianity is not true. Um, however, if he did rise from the dead, and he is Lord, um, then Christianity is true. And so it was very easy to investigate Christianity in, in that regard. So the investigation of whether or not it was true led to ascertaining the arguments and, and their, their weight, um, evaluating the weight, that is. And I determined that really the Christian argument is quite strong. Uh, the argument for the resurrection, very, very strong. Uh, the argument that Jesus claimed to be God, very strong. And when you combine the two, a man who claims to be God saying, I will rise from the dead and does rise from the dead, uh, that means you know, that means he should be listened to. Indeed. So uh, that, was, uh, that was my uh, evidence, uh, the evaluation of the evidence for Christianity. And in regards to Islam, I, I had two points that I was looking into. Is Muhammad the, a prophet of God? Um, and is the Quran the word of God? If either of those were true, then Islam would be true. And as I began to evaluate the reasoning behind those arguments, uh, I realized that the reasoning was not strong at all, that much evidence had to be left out in order to support the idea that the Qur'an is the Word of God or that Muhammad is a prophet of God. And I'm not in the business of leaving out evidence just to promote a conclusion. So when you were, um, uh, before your 2005 conversion experience, would you say that the Qur'an was a, a major piece that you relied on, or was it mainly the uh, stuff that was being uh, given to you sort of as a, as a catechism by your, um, your other people? 
Well, we read the Quran every day, um, and we referred to it a lot. We recited prayers from it a lot, um, and uh, we did consider it the, the most holy of books. Um, now, a lot of what you learn about Muhammad as a Muslim does not come from the Quran. The Quran isn't a book about Muhammad. It's about uh, it's about law. It's about uh, rules and regulations. There's some history in there, but it's not supposedly about Muhammad. Um, so when you're talking about Islam and Muhammad um, and a lot of Sharia, you're talking about the traditions, the ahadith, the sunnah, um, which are uh, the sayings of Muhammad and the acts of Muhammad. And these are recorded outside of the Quran. So a lot of that has to do with um, a man's belief in Islam as well. If you are just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. And I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. And we have with us on the line Nabil Qureshi of Acts 17 Apologetics, who was recently arrested in Dearborn, Michigan, that would be the United States, folks, for sharing the gospel. Um, Nabil, let's, uh, let's start to dig in exactly what happened to you. Um, that day. Now, you told us about the year before when you were harassed and, and uh, shoved and kicked by security guards, and that's been documented on the video that's at your website. So you went back again this year. Um, why'd you go back? Or, you know, uh, the critics will say, well, you're trying to cause trouble. Well, one of the primary reasons we went back was because um, when we had settled last year, and by settled I don't mean that legally, I mean when we had talked to the police um, last year, the police had told us that they would take care of certain security guards who had violated our rights. Um, they pretty much gave us two options. They said either you can take them to court or we can talk to them and make sure that they don't come back next year. And we said, hey, we don't really want to go around suing Muslims. Uh, we don't want to be those guys. So instead of actually suing anyone, we'll go with option number two, that you yourselves talk to them and make sure they don't come back the following year. So we wanted to go there and make sure that that happened. Uh, we didn't want to see any of those security guards walking around. Um, interestingly enough, one of them was there working as a security guard, even though the police had told us that they wouldn't be. That was one reason we were there. Another reason we were there is because we had no reason not to be. Um, we didn't do anything illegal the first time. We did nothing wrong. Um, and uh, there's no reason why we shouldn't be at a festival in public. Um, so we went there to assert our right to be there. Another reason we were there is to, to show people exactly what is happening in Dearborn. A lot of people have no clue um, of the actual state of affairs there. Uh, they think it's just peaceful, um, that Islam has no hold there. It's just like any other city, and they'll tell us that. But we ourselves have experienced something entirely different. Just by representing Christianity there, um, we are we are being persecuted. Now, I'm not saying all Christians who were there were being persecuted, but I'm saying we who are vocal in our presentation of Christianity are being persecuted when we're there, unless we follow their exact rules, which we don't have to do. Um, so that was another reason I wanted to go there, just to show everyone, to document exactly what happens when we're there, and to show everyone what the situation is. Nabil, when you um, went to this current festival this past week, had you rented a space and put up a booth specifically to address the issues of Christianity versus the Muslim faith? I had brought that up um, beforehand. I had considered getting a booth to talk to people, and I figured it would actually be an even safer call to instead just go there and not say anything to anyone and see what happens. Because even if we have a booth there, someone could accuse us of being insightful, um, or in other words, inciting 
uh, an argument. Some people could be accusing us of harassing or of hate speech. However, if we just go there and we don't have a booth, uh, we don't say anything to anyone unless they say something to us first, then there's no way anyone could accuse us of harassing them or of, have, of, of giving out hate speech. Uh, so ultimately we chose the latter, to not have a booth, to just uh, represent Christ by being at a festival. So that's what we did. Hmm. So, uh, so step us through it then. Um, you arrived at the festival, and, and what happened? Well, we arrived at the festival. The first thing we wanted to do was make sure that we recorded every second we were there. Um, and uh, we did that. Um, aside from when the police confiscated our cameras, we had every single moment of our presence there recorded, so no one would be able to falsely accuse us. As we entered into the festival, we made a short video about um, our reasons for being there. As soon as we get our cameras back, um, I will let you know about that. Um, and all we did was we walked around. Uh, we waited for people to come to us and talk to us. It happened very quickly. Even when we made that introductory video about why we were there, people were following us and crowding around us. Um, and some people tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, why are you here? Why don't you leave? Um, and I answered their questions for them very peaceably. Was um, it? And as the festival started, there weren't many problems. So we were just walking around. No one really came up to us and said much. Every now and then some kids would come up to us and say something about uh, about us and being Christians and how um, Christianity is false, etc. But not much was said. Uh, it wasn't until later in the evening when we began to notice that anyone who wanted to come up to us to talk to us, security would usher them away. Um, so instead of stopping us from speaking to people, security was telling others to stop talking to them. Now, uh, now, why were them. why were they coming up to you? Did they, did you have a, a T-shirt on, or were you holding a sign? Well, we had a camera and a microphone. Um, they recognized you? Yes, and, and the biggest thing is they recognized us from the previous year. Wherever we walked, um, people would say, hey, those are the guys who made that video last year. Um, okay. And then they'd come up to us and start talking to us. So really, they recognized us from the video. They also saw our cameras and our microphone. And I was wearing a T-shirt um, with the gospel message on it. It says, Jesus always loves you and it had John 3.16 on there. So there are multiple reasons why people would walk up to us, but no one could say we were harassing anyone or, or giving any hate speech. But yet the official charges made it appear that uh, you were inciting a riot. That's how they made it sound. Uh, the chief of police, um, Chief Haddad, has said that we were, um, what exactly did he say? Causing a stir. Causing a stir is what yeah, he the, said. Yeah, here I've got the... Um, Michigan Free Press. Yeah, this is the Free Press account, which says, it doesn't have quotation marks, but it says, said to be causing disruptive behavior, police said. Well, and if, if you look at that as saying we caused others to be disruptive, then maybe yeah. that's true. <laughs> right. I know that seems really, uh, it's interesting because I thought that you normally get d arrested for disruptive behavior, but since you weren't disruptive, they, they arrested you for causing others to be disruptive. That's a, that's a real interesting hair split. I, I wonder if there's an actual law against that. I don't think there is. I don't think there's a law against much of what they uh, charged us with. Um, uh, I do want to also point out that uh, I called Chief Haddad uh, a couple days before going to, not many people know this, you might be the first okay. uh, people to hear this, um, but we, I called Chief Haddad before going to Dearborn, um, and I told him, hey, we're coming back, and I uh, just want to make sure you know so that in case anyone tries to do what they did last year, there won't be any problems. And he said to me, well, there's no reason for anyone to ever call me and warn me that they're coming to, to the city. Um, as long as you act within the color of the law, you'll be okay. All right. Well, that sounded good. Got a that question. did sound good, um, but apparently that wasn't meant to be. Nabil, question. 
Sorry. Is the chief of police Haddad a Muslim? I don't think so. Um, he looks Caucasian on videos online. By the way, he was uh, just recently appointed a uh, member of the Homeland Security Council. Um, so you can uh, you can see wow. some videos of him um, in relation to that on the news. Anyhow, he looked he looked to be Caucasian to me. He didn't seem Muslim at all. Do you think? Well, I don't. This calls for conjecture. I was going to ask. Do you think he was? Uh, coordinating this because I noticed on the there we haven't got to this part yet but there were really there are two parts to this there was the arrest inside the uh, fest the Arab fest and then there was a detainment that occurred outside the Arab fest when uh, David Wood um, uh, your friend and and an acquaintance of mine uh, was handing out gospel tracts written in Arabic, and they got detained. But within three minutes, there were eight uniformed officers there, which right. seemed like some kind of a coordinated effort. I mean, it just seems you know, like there weren't any complaints going on, and then the police showed up. It seemed like they were just waiting and, and showed up as soon as this happened. So so uh, all this for build-up to the question, and, and I, if you can't answer this, I understand. Do you think that this was a coordinated uh, effort to try to— um, silence you. Keith, in my mind, there's no question about it. Um, last year, after the festival happened, the mayor of Dearborn called together a meeting um, asking Christian and Muslim leaders in Dearborn to condemn what we did. Um, so the mayor of the city is telling others to condemn us for simply being at a festival and asking a question. Um, wow. And so we know the mayor has something against us because of, because of that. Uh, we weren't invited to that meeting, by the way. The mayor has never spoken to us directly or invited us to anything or asked us for an explanation. So uh, we know he's asking people to do that. When we got to the festival this time, a friend of ours said, I was standing next to a policeman when you guys walked into the festival, and he had a radio on his shoulder. And when you guys walked into the festival, it came over the radio, um, hey, those guys from last year are back. We need to get them out. Wow, interesting. Now, I don't have any proof of that because we don't have a camera there, which is why we carry cameras with, with us wherever we go, is to get proof. Um, but a friend of ours has told us this is what I heard when he walked in the festival. So, Nabil, to um, uh, address these charges against you, I'm assuming that you have counsel. We do. The Thomas More Law Center is representing us. Okay. And is this a Christian organization? Yes. Um, I, I don't know if they officially call themselves a Christian organization, um, but I've heard them say things that sound very Christian. <laughs> and and so, certainly uh, they feel that your rights to free speech have been violated in a big way. Right, and, and they, do, they do set out to defend the rights of Christians. Um, so I don't know if they call themselves Christians, but they, they're specifically designed to defend the civil rights of, of other Christians. All right, let's get more into um, uh, the arrest. So you were walking around for a couple of hours interacting with people as they would approach you, speaking only when you were spoken to. And so what finally happened? Well, I'll, t I'll say this. About 7 or 8 o'clock, I don't know because I don't have the footage, but somewhere around there, I made a video. Um, uh, we st I, when I say that, I mean I stopped and spoke into the camera. Uh, and I said, it looks like here no one's bothering us. Uh, people are coming up to us and talking to us. Um, it, it looks like everything's better here. Uh, I even said, it looks like there's been a victory on the home front. Um, because no one was stopping us from being there. Uh, I even So when I get that footage back, you might be able to see that, um, depending on how we decide to ultimately clip it. As time went on, though, we started noticing that security was stopping people from talking to us. 
Um, so I made a video about that, and I said, well, uh, it's good because we're not getting harassed, but other people aren't even able to talk to us because of what security is doing. That's not good. And then one of the last videos um, that I was able to make was um, showing uh, uh, a man who we had just met a moment before. He was passing out pamphlets. This is what he said to us. He said, I had been passing out pamphlets um, about the gospel. The police took me to the jail, um, got all my pamphlets from me, got all my information, and told me I wasn't allowed to hand those pamphlets out anymore. Um, this is a man we were speaking to right there on the festival. We didn't know who he was. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, when he was telling us this report, there was a man not, not 30 or 40 feet away from us, who's handing out, a Muslim man who was handing out Muslim tracts, and no one was stopping him. Uh, we, wanted to make that, we wanted to make that video and show that contrast. In the process of that, a volunteer came up to us, and he said to that man, he said, so you are with these guys? And uh, the man I was interviewing said, no, I'm not with them. It's my first time meeting them. And the volunteer just kind of shakes his head with a look on his face that says, oh, I knew it, I knew it. Um, and so I, I said, I had, I had no idea what this was about. We walked away. We came back. That volunteer was now talking to that man. It looked like he was harassing him. So I walked up to, to the man I had interviewed, and I said, hey, are you okay? And he said, yes, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. And I said, all right. Um, in the meantime, the volunteer, um, then when he sees us approaching him with our cameras, uh, he calls security over his microphone. He says, security, security. And I said, what are we doing wrong? Um, he says, if you put down your microphone and your camera, I'll tell you what you're doing wrong. Uh, so we did. We put down the microphone and the camera, um, and I approached him. I said, what are we doing wrong? He says, get away from me. I said, okay. Turns out he then went and gave a report to the police saying we had surrounded him and didn't offer him recourse for escape. And um, because of that statement on his behalf, the police arrested us. That's what the police explained to us once. I haven't seen that in writing. I haven't, I haven't heard a, an official report about that. But when we were in the police van on the way to the station, um, that is what we were told uh, while we were being arrested. Now, and, I, and I said s- to the policeman right there, we have all the footage on camera. We can exonerate ourselves right here. We did nothing wrong. And they said, no, we're not going to watch it. And when you said we, that how many people were with you? I was the only one talking. Um, and David was recording me on a camera. Um, a friend of ours, Paul, uh, was recording me on a camera as well. And we had one other person, Nagin, uh, 18-year-old girl, who was way off in the distance. Generally, she was about 100 feet away from us. And her whole goal was to be able to get a wide view just in case anything was to happen that we weren't able to see. So there was four of us total. Okay. Now, and all four of you were arrested that night? That all evening? four of us were arrested, even though the other three said nothing. Um, they were arrested as well. All right. And the Christian who had been handing out tracts that was there, he was not arrested? I don't know. Uh, Like I said, it was my first time meeting him. Um, I know he was taken to the jail. I don't know if that's considered being arrested. Mm. Nabil, the other gentleman, the Muslim man that was handing out tracts, were they Christian tracts, pro-Christian tracts, or were they Muslim tracts? Which gentleman? There there was another gentleman, you said, who was a Muslim handing out tracts. You know, I never went up to him to get a tract from him, but he was wearing Muslim garb. Uh, he had a beard, um, and no one was stopping him, so I'm pretty sure he was handing out Muslim tracts. Okay. All right. So um, then where does the—there's footage. So now the the video of all that has been confiscated, and they have kept it from you, so they that's still in police custody? Right. Um, right. As soon as we said we had exonerating evidence on the cameras, they took our cameras and haven't given them back. 
okay, I guess holding it because it's quote-unquote evidence. Um, if that's what they want to, I mean, they yeah. haven't told us why they're holding it. They haven't okay. given any explanation or any legal defense for, for seizing our, our cameras. Okay. Um, then there is footage on the Internet now that people can go to uh, that shows the handing out of the Gospels of John. Um, right. So we were uh, arrested Friday night. Mm-hmm. We were released Saturday morning. Um, uh, by released, I mean we were bailed out. And uh, I had to go back home to Virginia. Like I said, I'm a youth pastor, and we had a missions trip that we had to go on. Uh, David was still there, and um, he went back on Sunday. He bought a new camera because all of ours were confiscated, um, and he went and recorded friends of ours um, passing out the Gospel of John outside the festival. Right, right. Just to prove the point that it didn't really matter whether you were at the festival or outside the festival. It only mattered that you'd be silenced. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. You couldn't you couldn't talk about the gospel um, in public there or hand out gospel tracts at least um, without getting in trouble by the police. Well, if you're just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks, and I'm Dr. Mike Larakis. You, if you'd like to talk to Nabil, ask him any questions. You can call in at six zero nine three nine eight ten twenty. We have about five minutes left that you can uh, speak to Nabil. Um, Nabil, let's uh, let's finish up. What's going to be happening in the future? Uh, I understand that you may be filing a lawsuit. Well, like I said last year, we decided not to uh, because we don't want to be the guys who go around suing Muslims. But uh, this year, it seems we have to. Uh, number one, it wasn't a Muslim volunteer at the festival who lied about us. He, he seemed to be a Christian, um, and I have no problem suing Christians who are misusing the name of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, um, more more able to do that, but mainly mainly the issue that I have is that the police were not following proper procedure. They violated our First Amendment rights. We, the First Amendment um, says uh, we can freely exercise our religion, whereas for two years running, I'm not able to exercise simply being a Christian at this festival. First Amendment also says we have freedom of speech. We have virtually no speech at that festival. And the First Amendment also says there's freedom of the press. Well, we were trying to make a documentary of what's going on in Dearborn, and our cameras are confiscated. Um, so it looks like in multiple ways our First Amendment rights are being violated, and uh, we want to make sure that um, this does not continue. What's interesting is I've, I have heard, and I don't know if maybe somebody listening can uh, email in the court cases, but I am told that there are specific court cases that the Supreme Court has that deal specifically with issues like that, and my understanding is that you have the right not only um, to sue the city, but you can sue personally the police officers who participated because they are supposed to know that they are not to follow any orders given by their chief to arrest people uh, and silence free speech so that so that each of those eight police officers and any others involved can be held personally liable uh, for damages and um, because of what they did in arresting arresting you and silencing your free speech. From what I understand, that's true. I haven't had the opportunity to speak to my lawyer yet. Um, like I said, I was out on a mission trip. I just got back, and tomorrow I'll be talking to him. Okay. Now, you told us that there was at least one other evangelist out there hand, handing out tracts who also was taken to uh, the, the uh, jail, mm-hmm. or whether he was uh, put in jail or not, he was at least taken to the police station. Uh, were there any other, did you notice any other Christian 
ministries there at the fest, maybe in booths or? Yes, there were there were um, Christian ministries in booths. Um, Josh McDowell was there in the booth, and um, he seems to be of the mindset that um, if if speaking freely offends the Muslims, then don't speak freely. Um, do whatever you can to not offend them in order to win them to Christ. Uh, I respect that opinion. I respect that position. Um, but there's no reason that that opinion or position is any better than freely approaching people and using our freedom of speech. Uh, I think both approaches are necessary um, to to reach people. So he was there. He was at a booth. Um, he wasn't walking outside the booth. He wasn't handing out other pamphlets to anyone, and so he was fine. But if you tried to exercise your free speech um, outside of a booth uh, is when you get in trouble. Well, this, this might actually be a, um, a warning shot fired over the Christian bow, don't you think, Nabil, as far as what may be coming down the line as far as hate speech, free speech, and the fine line that uh, people can draw between the two? Oh, there's no question. I mean, just look at what's happening in the U.N. The U.N. passed a resolution, non-binding resolution last year, saying you're not allowed to insult other people's religions. It specifically listed Islam as a religion you're not to speak out against, um, and that's the U.N. passing a non-binding resolution. In the U.K., Last year, we had two Christian hoteliers who were um, who were speaking to Muslims, um, and they were arrested because uh, they said Muhammad wasn't a prophet. So here you have people in Western um, nations, nations known for the freedom of speech, and now we see laws changing and um, people's ability to freely speak about Islam and Christianity being curtailed to the point where people are being taken to jail just for their opinion. Well, one last question, Nabil. Do you feel that... Mu- that uh Muhammad was a prophet? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, if you were a prophet, then Islam would be true. Um, we look at the arguments for whether or not he was a prophet, and they all fall short. Uh, most of them ignore lots of evidence about his life, uh, details I wouldn't want to enumerate in this short amount of time, but uh, I, there's no way in my mind that he was uh, the prophet that Muslims claim him to be. Well, thank you, Nabil. I know that uh, you will be giving us an update uh, in the future as this case progresses. Uh, So we thank you for being on the show. Um, uh, You have been listening to Evidence for Faith, and uh, join us again next week as we talk about uh, the evidences and why Christianity is true. Thanks, Nabil. God bless you, brothers. At 1020 on your AM or WIBG.com. We are live radio 1020. WIBG, Ocean City, Summers Point, Atlantic City, South Jersey's cutting edge Christian news talk. Live radio 1020. WIBG.